Hello, Christchurch. It really is wonderful to be with you here this morning after so long apart. I can't tell you how great it is uh, to gather together. And as we meet this morning, either in our homes or at either of the services, do take to heart that in meeting together, despite these difficulties, we are glorifying the Father in our homes and in this town. I, I just also wanted just to take a moment to say uh, what an honor and a privilege it is to be asked to serve the church as an elder. It's not a decision Rob or myself have taken lightly. Far from it. It's been more like fear and trembling, to be honest. But I know with all my heart that Jesus is asking this of me, and I am uh, excited to see what God is going to be doing in the next season. But all of that is to come. And this morning, we don't have long. We have a short amount of time together to look at these sections of Nehemiah, starting in chapter 2, verse 9. So we will see from the text uh, that Nehemiah is faithful to God's calling on his life, and he trusts in the promise that God made to Abraham, that God has chosen his people and will bless them, that despite opposition, he gathers God's people together who systematically restore the walls around God's temple. And then we're going to spend some time looking at what lessons we can learn both from Nehemiah and from the people that responded to his call from help. So, children, there is going to be a quiz this morning. I've got three questions for you. And if you can answer these three questions correctly and email me the answers, then there will be a small prize per child, not per email. So my email is tom at christchurchhailsham.org. It's on the screen, and here are the three questions. Number one, what were the names of the people who opposed Nehemiah? Number two, how many individuals are named building the wall? And question number three, what century did this take place in? And that's actually where we're going to start. So you can actually just put your Bibles to one side, because... Uh, I find this part of biblical history actually really confusing. And so for my benefit as much as anyone else's, I just want to place us historically and geographically. You should know me by now. I love looking at maps. So let's look at map one together. Map one is of the Persian Empire as we know it. It is of the extent of where we are. Uh, you can see Susa is the capital city, which is where Nehemiah was with the cupbearer. If we move on to slide two, we can actually see where the books are historically. There we go, they're coming up now for me. So we're looking at Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, which were sometimes together, right at the end of Old Testament history chronologically. So we're not at the end of your Old Testament, but chronologically we are actually coming up pretty close to the end of uh, the chronological history of the Old Testament. Finally, and this was just for my benefit, uh, is, this is a timeline from Exodus on your left with Jesus on your right. You've got the Davidic monastery, which we just looked at, the life of David in, in Kings, with the building of the temple that Solomon did. And then after a time, you've got the, the Assyrians invading, first and second Assyrian invasions. And then the blue is the Babylonian empire. And as part of that, the people are exiled and the temple is destroyed, which is that nasty red one, and then the green one is the second temple that's built under the Persian Empire. And we find ourselves as Nehemiah shortly after that that temple is rebuilt. So Nehemiah is not, re not returning to rebuild the temple. The temple's rebuilt. He's returning to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So I hope you found that helpful. If you didn't, please forgive me. So Nehemiah 
has permission from the king, starting in chapter 2, verse 9, to restore the walls and take officials with him. He makes the journey from Susa to Jerusalem in order to see firsthand what needs doing. Now let's look at that journey. We have a slide here. This is just a Google map, right? I just found this interesting. This is the journey he makes right at the beginning is 2,000 kilometers. According to Google Maps, it would take you 440 hours to walk. So taking into account the Sabbath, taking into account the fact that there was no road network, I think this probably would have taken him about two or three months in those few verses, leaving modern-day Iran, past Baghdad in Iraq, through Syria, and down into Israel. So we know where we are, and importantly, we know when we are, about 450 BC. That's quite impressive for someone who's locked his keys in his car on no less than five occasions. So the first thing Nehemiah does when he arrives in Jerusalem is he makes an enemy of Shanbalat and Tobiah. They do not want him to help his fellow Jews. And it is clear right from the get-go that there is going to be resistance to his plan. So then he decides to inspect the walls under the cover of darkness and void making any further enemies. And you're going to see a short clip now of what it must have been like in pitch darkness to have surveyed the walls of Jerusalem. Okay, so Owen is Nehemiah. Owen's job... Nehemiah's job is to inspect the walls of the city during the cover of darkness to avoid any further opposition. And Owen is going to demonstrate the biblical accuracy of what I'm saying in how difficult this would have been for him. So back a bit, Owen. Back a bit, 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 back a bit. <laughs> okay, fine. Spin round three times. Okay. Right. Stop. Okay, so move forwards, Owen. Move forwards. He's following a maze, guys. Turn right. Move forwards. No, turn left. Turn left. Move forwards. Move forwards. Move forwards. Move forwards. Owen, move forwards. Move forwards. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Forwards, 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 forwards. Turn right. Forwards, 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 forwards. Big steps. Big steps. Turn right. Big step. That's it. Now, now, no, stop. Turn right. Big step. Okay, half a step. Side step left. Stop. Turn right, 90 degrees. Okay, forward with big steps, big area now. All of this wall, all of these gates, look at them all. You can't see them, can you? It's nighttime. Stop. Turn right. Move forwards. Stop. Forwards. No, left, left a bit. That's it. Forwards. Stop. Turn left. Stop. Um, turn right. <laughs> Go forwards, just go forwards, turn right. You're nearly there, forwards. Turn right, forwards, turn left, forwards, turn left. Stop. I think that demonstrates how difficult it would have been for Nehemiah to have surveyed the walls at night time. Fantastic. So, Nehemiah manages to see all the damages to the walls during those three nights. It must have been a full moon. And then in verse 17, he announces his plans to the fellow Jews. And this is where we get the return of the opposition. Old Shambhalat and Tobiah, they are now joined by Geshem. And they basically accuse him of high treason. 
Now, this would have been a really serious accusation, especially when you're so far from the capital city. But it was completely baseless because Artaxerxes had approved his plans. I know from personal experience that it doesn't matter if there's no evidence, an accusation can cause pain and delays. But this is where I want you to get your highlighter out, or your pen or your pencil, and highlight this bit of text, because when Nehemiah is faced with opposition and accusation, he shouts his truth even louder. Let's look at verse 10. Sorry, verse 20 together. He basically says in this verse, you have no idea who you're dealing with. Get off my land, he's saying. What he's actually doing here is remembering God's promise to Abraham that he and his people have a sovereign and spiritual right to the land. And if God is with them, then who can stand against them? This brings us to chapter 3 now. The list of workers. This is where something truly beautiful happens. The whole chapter. Just skim over that chapter as I'm reading to you. Look at it in your Bibles. It reads as one long list of dedicated, radical generous and brave people who all in turn stand up for God's cause and systematically begin rebuilding the gates and walls around his people. We have Eliashib, we have Zakur, we have Merimoth, Meshulam, Zadok, Juayada, Meshulam again, Jadon, Uziel, Hananiah, Rephaniah, Jediah, Hattush, Melchiah, Mashub, Shalom, Nehemiah, a different Nehemiah. So the list goes on and on. In fact, it mentions 36 individuals who, with their families, they set out against opposition and they invested their time and their money building God's kingdom on earth. This is my first point to you this morning. It starts here in verse 18. Let us rise up and build. And they strengthened their hand for God's work. Despite opposition from powerful enemies, despite the threat of attack, despite the personal financial cost, God's people rose to the occasion and stood up to be counted among God's faithful. It was a deliberate action and a direct response to what God was calling them to do through Nehemiah. And immediately, it opened them up to serious and baseless accusations and oppositions from the world, which they would have expected. They knew the dangers, they calculated the cost, and they stood up for God. And when the opposition and the trials came, they continued to stand, trusting in his covenant to them through Abraham. Now, we do not live in the Old Testament but God absolutely has a unique calling on your life. An exciting journey of faith following our Lord Jesus. Now, we need to make sure that we stand and are counted with Jesus, despite opposition, despite the financial and personal cost to our lives to be counted as his disciples in the world. We need to stand and be counted as Christians in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our relationships. 
do you know that with the perspective I have now, I can say I think the hardest place that I have ever had to confess to being a Christian is actually the school playground. I was teased and bullied when people realized I believed in God, which you don't get as an adult. You'll get, you know, slander maybe, but you won't get teased and bullied. It's just not allowed as an adult, but you get away with it as a child. Let me tell you, kids, that God has an incredible reward for your faithfulness to him. More than words can express. We're told in the Bible to jump up and down with joy when we're bullied for being a Christian. Because your reward is so great in heaven. You see, the world hates Jesus. And Jesus himself said that the world will hate us for following him. That's the cost. If you like being accepted and normal, I'm sorry, because Jesus was not accepted by the world and his life was not normal by worldly standards. Neither will ours be. But like the people named in this passage, in chapter 3, if you look at those names, we need to stand firm on the new covenant that God has made with us through Jesus that through our entire life, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That although a life in him is going to cost us materially and physically, he will provide for us materially and physically and spiritually. Have you got friendships or relationships where the other person might not realize you're a Christian? Have you noticed in this text that God, God's people could not start work until they had stood up for God's cause and made themselves a target for opposition? The same applies to us. Unless we are prepared to get out of our comfort zone and enter into the world with the name of Jesus on our lips, we are not going to see God's work done quickly or effectively. And what work there is to do. If we look quickly now at chapter 3, you will see that these families worked on reading, rebuilding the wall where they were, often where their house was. What a beautiful comparison for us to observe. God's work starts where we are, in our house, in our personal fellowship with Jesus. And if we're married the spiritual walk of our spouse and our children. So there's two important principles that I want to draw from this last section. Firstly, there is no more obvious place in all the earth for you to serve Jesus than right here and right now, in this town, in this church, in this community. Jesus calls his followers to work, to labor for him. Building his heavenly kingdom on this earth, not with bricks and stones, but with blood and bones. The people in this account, they applied themselves fully to what God was doing. And they are honored in being written down in God's word. That is such a privilege for them. But friends, 
God is doing something far more exciting today than he was then. Far, far more exciting. And the honor that is waiting for us who are running this race is a crown of glory and everlasting life from the Lord Jesus himself with the words, well done, my good and faithful servants. The honor that we have in pursuing him, in chasing after him, in mimicking him, is so much more than they had. And they're so famous, we're still reading about them. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And he is calling for us to help him make it grow. We get one life. One life. That's all we get to serve him with. Everything else is, frankly, vanity. The world will tell you that you deserve to be happy. Oh, yeah. Be rested. Be comfortable. Go ahead. Keep watching. Keep playing. Keep gaming. Whatever you do, don't start praying. Don't pick up that book. It's been a long day. God understands. Far from it. Serving Jesus in his church is not a waste of time. Social media will fill your mind with never-ending expensive holidays, the perfect home, the perfect car. If we let it, the world will continually disciple us and shape us to believe that serving the church is a waste of time and money. This is what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians. I'm just going to read this short section of text. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 to 15. Actually, I'm going to read from 9. Let me set that first bit. Or to put it another way, you are God's house. Using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I designed blueprints. This is the message, by the way, sorry. Apollos is putting up the walls. Let each carpenter who comes to the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there is only one foundation, the one already laid, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, there is going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and vigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your building, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. But you won't be torn out. You'll survive just barely. Paul is saying to us, we are going to be held accountable for how we spend our time in this life. We are all building something. We are. When I stand in glory on that day, and for the first time I behold the face of my precious king, and I gaze into his eyes, when I'm having to give an account of every word spoken, I want to lift up my hands that are calloused, and blistered from doing his work. He will ask me what I have done with my talents, and I want to tell him that I stood up and I was counted for his name and spent all my days building his kingdom, casting off the world with its temptations just to have an easy life. Nehemiah answered the call of God. And despite opposition, the people rose up and were counted for the good work God had for them. 
to those of you who are at school. God will reward you for your faithfulness to him, and he understands how hard it is to be normal and accepted. He experienced that firsthand. To those in the throes of life with its trials and concerns, stay focused on what God has called you to do. Jesus wants you to build a kingdom, and it starts where you are right now. And finally, to those wonderful people here who have reached the age of retirement or older, God's workers don't have a retirement age. You know that better than I do. Far from it. If we are taken from one degree of glory to another in our life, then those who are older are God's hardest workers. God will reward you for your work for him as abundantly. Sorry, God will reward your work for him abundantly as you continue to be a role model to those who follow behind. Let me close and pray. Lord God, thank you that you entrust us with the building of your kingdom on this earth. Thank you that you chose to partner with us in accomplishing your will. Lord, we do ask for mercy for all the times that we have failed to stand up and be counted for your name, and we ask for the courage to be a faithful witness for you and to trust in your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. And Lord Jesus, would you give us more of your Holy Spirit, that we would be strengthened for the good work you have for us. Lord, I ask you that with each sunrise we grasp everything you have in store for us and do it well that we would live each day in the power of your Holy Spirit, full of your grace and mercy towards everyone around us, whether we are single parents or company directors or school teachers or road sweepers. Lord, would we build our whole lives on the foundation of you, Jesus. Amen.